Welcome to your books in Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Patricia Banks, who's an associate professor of sociology at Mount Holyoke College. She's written a book called Diversity and Philanthropy at African American Museums. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really delighted to be talking to you about this book. Um, it's an incredibly well-timed book, both in terms of uh, questions about the future of the museum as an institution, and then also in a kind of uh, wider social political context. Uh, and one of the questions I guess we might start with is, is where did the kind of the interest in the book come from and, and how did it develop as part of your sort of broader intellectual project? Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. So Great. thank you so That's much good. for the invitation. That's good. So my research really broadly is on culture, patronage and markets. And so Whereas research on cultural patronage typically focuses on social class, I also look at race and ethnicity. So my first book is Represent Art and Identity Among the Black Upper Middle Class. And for that book, I went to New York and Atlanta and I interviewed art collectors to see how they construct their racial identity through collecting art associated with the African diaspora. Uh, and a lot of my collectors were also supporters of African-American museums. And so I became very curious about why people support African-American museums. At that point in time, there was also fundraising. Fundraising had really just started for the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And so I thought this would be a perfect yeah. second project. I, I mean, that's the institution that uh, opens the book. Uh, and it'd be great actually to hear a bit more about, um, I was going to say why that institution matters, but it's really obvious why mm -hmm. that institution matters, but mm -hmm. why was that institution a good starting point in case study for the book? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a great starting point because the National Museum of African American History and Culture is the largest African American museum in the United States. It's located in Washington, D.C. on the National Mall and it's part of the Smithsonian complex. So it is the first African-American museum on the National Mall. Now, a lot of people, when you say, you know, do you know of an African-American museum? At this point, they do know yeah. about the National Museum of African-American History and Culture because it opened a couple of years ago in 2016. But there's actually over 300 uh, African-American museums and related institutions across the country. And many of them have opened in recent years, like the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And we even have a few that are slated to open in the next couple of years, such as the International African-American Museum in South Carolina and the National Museum, uh, the National African-American Museum of Music, which is going to open in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so you wouldn't have all these museums without patrons. Yeah. So patrons are a critical part of the story. And so uh, the National Museum of African-American History and Culture provides a nice lens for us to start thinking about culture, race, and class, and patronage. I mean, the, the really sort of obvious thing when you start to mention the patrons is who, who are we? Like, who, who are we talking about here? What, both what kind of people, and then obviously later in the book we'll talk about their practices and relationships with the institutions, mm -hmm. but are we talking about kind of primarily wealthy individuals? Mm -hmm. um, what, what sort of individuals? Mm -hmm. So the patrons of African-American museums as a group, and this is typical of patronage more broadly, are upper middle and upper class. Now, they do differ when we compare the patrons of African-American museums to majority institutions. They tend to be, uh, they're more likely black. So there's a higher concentration of African-Americans uh, who are associated 
with African-American museums. Uh, what's also important to note as well, though, and this is, of course, part of the story of the book, is that uh, they differ in some other ways as well. So we've got a group of people who are upper middle and upper class, uh, many of whom are African-Americans, but they're also non-blacks. Most of the non-blacks who support are whites. So it's mainly African-Americans and whites when we start to think about uh, race. Uh, and it's also the case that a lot of the supporters are in the private sector. Yeah. But there are also people who are not in the private sector, for example, professors, people who work for government. So that's an important kind of uh, variation that's important to be sensitive to. Uh, there's also lifestyle differences. Uh, about half of the people I interviewed are what I call cultural connoisseurs, <laughs> and the other half are cultural appreciators. And cultural Connoisseurs are, it's my term to refer to people whose lifestyle uh, is very much embedded in art and culture. So they might be collectors, for example. Uh, the cultural appreciators, uh, you know, they enjoy art and culture, but it's not a significant feature of their lifestyle. And I think that's important because when a lot of people think of museum patron, they think that everybody is deeply involved in art. And that's not necessarily the case. And then the final uh, kind of variation that's important to be attentive to is generation. So the majority of supporters were born uh, before 1965. And again, this is kind of typical of museum patronage more broadly. But there's also a contingent of those who were born after 1965. And so, uh, you know, it's important for us to be sensitive to those variations as well. And I mean, it, it brings up lots and lots of questions. <laughs> uh, obviously, and they're all kind of variations of, so how do we explain this? But mm -hmm. Before we do, I was struck quite early on um, by this idea about there being kind of particular museum values. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's really crucial to the book, actually, because these are not, I suppose, neutral institutions that are just being given money. Mm -hmm. You know, th there yeah. is a, a sort of a specific dynamic about um, what these institutions are and what they do. Mm -hmm. and, and that term, museum values, kind of, uh, I think, deserves to be given a little, a little airtime. Mm -hmm. So museum values is the term that I use to describe why patrons, uh, how they think about the value of the arts institutions that they support. So uh, it refers to why they think these institutions should exist, how they think about uh, how these museums should adapt to the future, how they should be governed, how they should be organized. And of course, what I argue is that depending on their particular background, different patrons have distinct sets of museum values. So <laughs> let's get into those. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the first thing uh, that, that comes up uh, is the way that there are distinctive relationships depending on race. Mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, in the American context, like the Brits are obsessed by class, and obviously, mm -hmm. you know, race is one of the crucial dividing lines uh, in American sociological analysis mm -hmm. and in American society. And we could do this at a sort of theoretical level, but actually, mm -hmm. one of the things I really liked about that early chapter in the book is that this is a very kind of personal human story. So, mm -hmm. you've got the, the example of Jennifer mm -hmm. and Grant, and I, I wonder if you might tell us that story as a way mm -hmm. of kind of unpacking these different uh, relationships with the institutions that are kind of 
shaping ground for our race. Mm -hmm. So these, uh, Jennifer and Grant were two of the patrons, of course everybody has pseudonyms, <laughs> but they were two of the patrons who I interviewed. And let's begin with Jennifer. So Jennifer is a patron of uh, uh, one of the African American museums in her city. And she talked about one of the really valuable aspects of the patronage for her was the fact that she had an opportunity to interact with other African-American museums, other African-Americans in her community who were also upper middle and upper class. And she talked about the fact that when she was at events associated with majority cultural institutions, often she would be the only person there or just one of a few. And so the African-American museum in her city became a focal point of connection for the black, middle, and upper class. And she described how there are few organizations in her city where all of the <laughs> African-Americans are members of and, and support, yeah. and the museum was one of them. So she really valued her patronage for the role that it played in intra-racial and intra-class connections. So really building community among the black, uh, middle, and upper class. Grant uh, talked about the value of patronage from his perspective for the interracial ties. So he described uh, one of the reasons that he got involved in supporting the museum that he gives to was he felt that there wasn't enough support by whites in the community. And he thought it was a worthy undertaking and he thought that more whites should be involved. And so he decided to get involved. Now, one of the differences between uh, Grant and Jennifer is that while Jennifer described the museum as a space where uh, she was renewing her ties with people who were friends and acquaintances, Grant shared that uh, if it weren't for the museum, he wouldn't necessarily uh, have even come across um, some of the people who were there. And that's because, um, you know, in this city, the, the, the Black Museum disproportionately does get support from African Americans. And so for him, he really valued it as a space to create interracial bonds interracial bonds. And it was interesting because there were even some whites who I interviewed who, you know, in their professional lives and their personal lives, they actually do interact a yeah. lot with African-Americans. So the museum wasn't the only yeah. place where they connected with African-Americans, but they too thought about its value as for them being a bridge between communities. So helping to connect the African-American and the white community. I'm, I think your, your analysis there was particularly measured, actually, because um, it would be, I think, kind of quite easy to be very critical of some of those relationships, mm -hmm. um, particularly in a, an almost kind of transactional or, or mechanistic mm -hmm. way. And you sort of develop that later in the book where you consider what the more corporate or professional mm -hmm. relationships are. Mm -hmm. and, and one really obvious mm -hmm. thing is, is a manifestation of, of corporate social responsibility. So we mm -hmm. have, you know, the backdrop of a moment where museums are being criticised for what kind of funding they take mm -hmm. and the extent of, you know, art washing of particularly oil companies or mm -hmm. um, uh, drug or pharmaceutical mm -hmm. empires and stuff like this. And, and, and that, I suppose, almost, you know, 
micro relationship mm-hmm. that, that you show with grants um, develops that, and and, and it, you know leads us to the question of so so what are these sort of professional corporate mm-hmm. relationships with the African American Museum? Mm-hmm. So this is a kind of an interesting part of the book. Um, if we step back a minute, and I'll just kind of talk about the history of African American museums. Uh, so historically, African American museums, we've always, they, they've existed for a long yeah. time. So there were some that existed in the 19th century. But as a type of museum, they really started growing in the 1960s. Yeah. And it was part of what people called the Black Museum Movement. And so we see uh, a concentration of these museums and then we've just seen more being founded kind of over time and so these museums in their kind of early forms were often referred to as uh, storefronts so it's kind of, they were small institutions people would start them and uh, there were a lot of volunteers who were supporting them so they were not uh, like the majority institutions that were deeply kind of connected to the corporate sector. And so this is one of the kind of interesting parts of this story uh, that you see with my book is that you really do have a set of African-American museums, not all of them, just like this is not the case with all majority museums, but with the larger African-American museums, they they are getting corporate donations. And uh, so what you end up with is these museums will sometimes have um, uh, very long-term relationships with corporations in some cases. So in some cases, corporations have been founded donors of these museums and since then they've continued to keep ties uh, through having a member on a board having people serve on committees and and uh, giving donations like supporting galas and so what I found is that for people who work in the corporate sector who work in the for-profit sector they often think about their patronage in relationship to their careers yeah so there's kind of two sides of it. Uh, one is the doing good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the doing good is that they are connecting it to the ethos of corporate social responsibility. Um, and this is an idea that corporations have an obligation to not only maximize profit, but to also serve their stakeholders, such as the communities where they are doing business. And so for the supporters who work in the corporate sector, they would often think about their patronage at African-American museums as an articulation of their companies as well as their broader profession uh, kind of obligation to give back. So they would talk about it in those ways. Um, In some cases, it was very specific to companies. So people would have, you know, their company had been a founding donor. And so uh, someone in their company suggested, I'm rotating off the board. You know, you should, uh, now it's a good time for you to try to get involved. So they would see it connected to their job, but then also just more broadly. So there would be business associations in particular communities, and um, one might get recruited because of their involvement there. So that's kind of the doing good. The other side of that is the doing well, <laughs> is the doing well, uh, which in that sense, what it means is that uh, patronage offers opportunities for one to kind of uh, network for some in some circumstances. So uh, in some cases, uh, people would invite clients to have tours of museums. Uh, in some cases, they would invite clients to 
fundraisers. So they would, if their company purchased a table, they would invite clients to sit at the table. And uh, even if they didn't do that, because of the high concentration of uh, people who worked in the private sector at these events, you have an opportunity to connect with uh, people at your company, to connect with people uh, at other businesses. So they often talked about it in both of those ways as an opportunity to do good, but also do well. And I mean, these are really uh, standard kind of stories mm -hmm. of uh, the contemporary museum and the struggle for, for money. Mm -hmm. um, were there particular kind of differences around the African American Museum? Or is this a story of, as you kind of gestured towards, when museums reach a certain scale, a certain mm -hmm. uh, position in the field, then the baggage of we have to pay for this wing, you know, comes in, and the easiest way to do that is, is the corporate donorship. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really it's really fascinating. So uh, part of this absolutely is about the maturation of a field of museums. Part of what happens is that, you know, when you get to a certain size, there's a certain amount of resources that are required. Now, I will say one of the things that kind of complicates the situation for African-American museums is, as I noted earlier, one of the key uh, kind of groups of supporters are African-Americans who are upper middle and upper class. But we also have wealth inequality, yeah, 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 <laughs> race-related yeah, yeah. wealth inequality. So what happens when a key stakeholder has less wealth, has less wealth? So in some ways, it's kind of interesting to think about um, the degree to which African-American museums in terms of kind of organizational support are dependent in some ways um, on you know, corporations and other ways uh, that majority institutions might not be. Yeah. And, and I mean, again, you know, thinking historically, you mentioned the uh, the long-term uh, long existence of these institutions, mm -hmm. but the comparative late arrival at the mm -hmm. same scale as, you know, uh, as a Smithsonian or as mm -hmm. a Met or, or something like that. And, it, you know, it's difficult to magic up an endowment uh, if, mm -hmm. if the action took place 200 years ago. So Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, this is there's it, this book was so exciting to work on because, uh, you know, historically, uh, much of the research in the sociology of culture has not systematically looked in depth at race and ethnicity. But I also feel that there are so many new questions yeah, yeah, that it kind yeah, yeah, of opens yeah. up. And absolutely, when you are an institution that uh, you know, has been amassing uh, wealth from particular families for, you know, decades. Uh, you, you're just in a very different position. I, I mean, the, the really uh, obvious uh, kind of example of that, uh, I suppose, uh, both the different dynamics uh, that play out through the lens of race and ethnicity, and actually a different lens of analysis is this generational question. Yeah. And, uh, this is a chapter that, uh, kind of, look, looking over it, really struck me because it, it felt exactly what is going on right now is is in that chapter, and the mm -hmm. sense of actually the kind of younger supporters having very distinct cultural and political focuses, mm -hmm. relationships, and, and also demands of the mm -hmm. institution. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think it'd be fascinating to hear. Uh, those differences. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
as I noted earlier, so the majority of the supporters are uh, from born before 1965, yeah. but there's a contingent of them who are born after 1965, and their museum values are different. Yeah. Their museum values are different. And so uh, they tend to be more sensitive to wanting their museums that they support to be engaged with contemporary culture, yeah. contemporary politics, as well as contemporary technology. Um, so I can talk about each of those a little bit. Uh, when it comes to contemporary technology, what I found was that there was widespread agreement among patrons that African-American museums need to situate themselves technologically uh, to um, be right at the cutting edge. But one of the differences was how individual patrons themselves engage the museum. And so what I found was among the uh participants who were born after 1965, they're much more likely to engage their museums through social media such as Facebook um, and to really feel that uh, for them to maintain their connection to the museum, that the museums needed to uh, highlight that. Yeah. So that was um, interesting technologically. When it comes to art, uh, they were often more interested in museums focusing on emerging artists um, and uh, even hip hop culture when it came to things like what type of music should be played at events. <laughs> Which, again, is kind of interesting when we start to think about uh, arguments about culture of poverty, yeah. so culture associated with um, kind of urban America, that oftentimes gets associated with, uh, uh, you know, continuing mar marginalization of those groups. And, of course, there's been a lot of critique, yeah. a deep, deep critique of those arguments. But what we see here is a group of patrons, younger patrons, who very much are embracing it. So we see... Um, you know, kind of a melding of these two worlds. And then politically, uh, younger patrons are often more interested in having their museums engage contemporary political movements such as Black Lives Matters. And, you know, theoretically, what I argue is that part of the reason we see museum values differing among various groups is because of the different experiences that people have and the different identities. And when it comes to, you know, ideas about what should the museum do politically, that has to do partly because the younger patrons are more directly involved in some of these political movements. So they are involved themselves, they have friends who are involved, um, and so... They, 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 they're very aware of them, and, and, and when it comes to their kind of broader lives, they see the museum as a space that is appropriate uh, to kind of engage them. I mean, you could sort of speculate a little in terms of, you know, if something like the National Museum had existed in you know, sort of uh, middle 1960s, mm -hmm. you might have had similar uh, struggles over content, mm -hmm. but the lack of that formal institution didn't mm -hmm. give that opportunity. So in, in, in some ways, we're kind of, uh, I suppose it's like a, a testament to, again, the institutional status mm -hmm. that means you can have these struggles, mm -hmm. but they're struggles nonetheless. Absolutely. <laughs> and they're, you know, over both, you know, content space mm -hmm. about relationships and, and that kind of sense of, of different uh, tastes and relationships comes through in, in the distinction you mentioned much earlier, mm -hmm. which is connoisseurs and appreciators and, and I was sort of struck by those two terms and, and it did lead me to wonder not just kind of what they are because again you've touched on that but, but the sense of like 
how does that work? Why are there these kind of different mm-hmm. modes of engagement? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what's uh, one of the key, well, so partly, so if we think about kind of why are there these modes of engagement, part of it is, again, when we start to think about uh, the broader lifestyle that people have. So when it comes to, for example, a collector, you have a collector who collects perhaps uh, historical objects related to uh, African Americans in the United States, or they're collecting African American art. Uh, you know, they kind of bring that that interest and that taste to their involvement with African American museums, and so they are very conscious mm. about things such as the role of African American museums and valorizing culture associated with the African American museum, with things such as the position of African-American museums in the broader field of museums uh, with respect to status, as well as African-American museums in relationship to one another. They're very sensitive to those types of issues and have some very clear thoughts about um, kind of the appropriate direction to take. Uh, In contrast, when it came to connoisseurs, excuse me, when it came to appreciators, appreciators uh, would often make statements such as, uh, you know, I, I'm very passionate about this museum, but it wasn't the collection yeah, that yeah. brought me here. I'm here for other reasons. And then when I would ask them to comment about well, what direction should collecting take, what direction for, should exhibitions take, they were more reluctant to comment about those things and would say, I trust the curators versus the uh, connoisseurs would have very clear opinions about, uh, you know, exhibitions that they thought were well done, artists that should be collected, artists that should not be collected, the types of objects that are appropriate for the museum to collect, the types that are not. Uh, so they would often, some would even say if they were on the museum board, that they, they thought that they had that role mm. and that other people, including um, sometimes staff would even look to them to play that role. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. And it, it particularly, uh, I guess, kind of sets up uh, all the way through this, I've been gesturing to how of, of the immediate moment this book is, and, you know, how well, well-timed it is, which is a minor miracle considering how long publications take to yeah. get out and, and stuff like this. And, and I'm struck, you know, we're recording this in New York and there's been a series of, uh, controversies over New York's cultural institutions, not specifically African-American, about how they will be funded, mm-hmm. what they will be representing, what you know, what mm-hmm. goes in, and you know who their audiences are. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess, where do you think the book? What do, what do you think the book tells us, or where do you think the book fits in with this kind mm-hmm. of contemporary discussion in terms of the sort of the future of both philanthropy and then mm-hmm. this kind of contested but important term of sort of diversity in the museum mm-hmm. sector? I so um, I think in so many ways I think African American museums offer a lot of insight on issues that are being dealt with across the cultural world, and even when we start to think about issues such as being inclusive with respect to audiences, African American museums. Uh, have been grappling with and negotiating those issues since they started. Because why did these institutions start? Part of the reason they're starting is because, you know, in the 1960s, majority museums 
are not as kind of inclusive when it comes to audiences uh, from racial and ethnic minority groups, when it comes to art uh, associated with racial and ethnic minorities, and when it comes to the leadership. Uh, and so African-American museums have really been pioneers when it comes to including racial and ethnic minority cultural producers, when it comes to the patrons, and when it comes to audience. So I think in many ways, African-American museums offer a nice model to look to. I think one of the really critical issues going on is diversity mm-hmm. on uh, cultural boards. Recently, a study showed that in the United States, close to half of all museum boards are all white in the United States. And it's what I think my research shows is that we really need to have diverse museum boards because people bring different perspectives to museums based on their race and ethnicity. And so to that end, um, some exciting developments have been, uh, uh, I think three foundations came together recently. The, let's see, it was the Ford Foundation, the Mellon Foundation, and the Alice Welton Foundation, they came together to support efforts by the American Alliance of Museums to help diversify boards. And so I think efforts like that are very important. So, I mean, it's exciting to see that uh, a lot of stakeholders in the museum world are concerned about these issues. Uh, So I think that's one thing that's important. I also want to note, though, in uh, the chapter on uh, race, I also talk about ethnicity. Yeah. So in the, the, at the very end, I talk about ethnicity. And I think this is also an important point to bring up when we start to think about policy. Yeah. Because when we're thinking about diversity and cultural patronage, we often think uh, about, for example, people of African descent, it's African-Americans. And what I found in my research is that uh, the museum values of uh, first and second generation black people in the United States. So, for example, people uh, who are from Africa, from the West Indies, either they or their parents, uh, think about uh, the value of African-American museums in some ways that are different than third generation and beyond black people. So, for example, they are often uh, particularly sensitive to board diversity with respect to first and second generation. They're often sensitive to audience. Um, To what degree is our audience uh, uh, ethnically inclusive, particularly given the fact that in some of the communities that these museums are located in, there are more and more uh, immigrants. Uh, And then also the content of, uh, for example, exhibitions. Mm -hmm. So having exhibitions that speak to Uh, first and second generation uh, people of African descent. So I think that's actually another critical issue when we start to think about uh, diversity and the cultural world more broadly. There's a lot of, we start to think about race and ethnicity. Uh, We we need to be attentive to uh, diversity within racial and ethnic uh, communities with respect to generational status. I mean, the the book is just, there's a wonderful illustration of, of, of the depth um, uh, the topics and, 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 and data actually that, that the book contains um, and we, we've only really sort of scratched the surface of it so it seems a bit sort of mean to kind of say 
so what are you doing next? <laughs> but but are you thinking, I mean, there's a lot more you, you can uh, develop here, or are you going to be doing something slightly different? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, it's really one of the nice things about my kind of research agenda is all of the projects really build on each other yeah. and grow out of it. So as I noted earlier, uh, I became curious about uh, museum patronage because many of the collectors I interviewed were supporters of African-American museums. And what I found in the course of this research is that many of the supporters of African-American museums are uh, corporations. So the next project, the, the project that I'm working on now, uh, I'm writing a book on this topic, is That's looking awesome. at corporate support of black culture. So that includes not only corporations that are giving donations to museums, African-American museums, other cultural institutions, but also looking at corporate sponsorship of black music, um, so across the kind of black cultural sector. And what I'm finding is that corporate support of black culture is what I call a form of diversity capital. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, this is a term that I developed in, um, as I've been working on this project, and I refer to uh, diversity capital as cultural practices um, and values that allow organizations to solve problems and leverage opportunities related to race and ethnicity and other social differences. And one way that uh, Black cultural patronage uh, does this is it allows corporations to signal that they value diversity and inclusion. So it allows them to construct a public image which um, demonstrates that they do value equity. And I'd assume there might be some tension between their actual practices and those signals. Well, it, it's interesting because uh, there is, when, whenever we start to think about uh, kind of public image, yeah. there, there can always, there can be moments when there's a crisis, yeah. <laughs> for example, yeah. uh, and I term them racial image crisis, when um, you might see uh, patronage in particular to respond to that to that crisis. But that's hopefully for the next podcast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs>